0: Podcast. What is up college Cross fans? You're watching episode number 249 of the lax factor podcast. I'm your host Ted Hoost. And today we're going to talk about a bunch of the games that were played yesterday, including the matchup between number one, Notre Dame and number three, Virginia. We'll also talk about Maryland, Hopkins, Duke, Georgetown, Princeton, Syracuse, North Carolina, bunch of other games. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you're notified when we put out videos on YouTube. But if you're an audio listener, just share the share the video, rate the video if you listen on Apple, or rate the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. All that good crap. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. Support us that way if you have team gear needs for your lacrosse team, your club, your travel league, whatever. Hit us up. We can get you team gear made in America, designed, cut, sewn, everything in America. So you can hit us up, go to laxfactor.com, or you can always just get t-shirts. You can go to the the, the website, buy a t-shirt, all that stuff. You can support us a lot of different ways, mainly just by watching and sharing the show. That's all I care about. So let me shut up. First game I want to talk about here today is number three, Virginia, and number one, Notre Dame, being played at Notre Dame. The battle between these two teams, it started well for Notre Dame as Chris Kavanaugh struck first, giving the Irish a one-zip lead just two minutes and 50 seconds into the game on a dish from his brother, Pat. A filthy, low-to-high righty snipe from about 11 yards out or so with an insane release. He received that pass, loaded up, and unleashed hell all in a single motion, just a beautiful, beautiful shot. The celebration, short-lived though, because UVA rattled off the next five goals of the game. They held a 5-1 lead by the end of the first quarter. That run was started with Connor Schellenberger losing Chris Fake X with a quick change of direction for a nearly uncontested goal as he got just inches above GLE. Nobody finishes with no angle as well as Connor Schellenberger, I don't think. That run ended with Xander Dixon burning an easy quick stick after burning. That doesn't even make sense. Either way, Xander Dixon buried, I think is what I was trying to say, an easy quick stick after Schellenberger found him on the backside pipe. Cavs were feeling good at this point, wheeling and dealing on both ends ends of the field. Now, Notre Dame did go on a bit of a run of their own, getting back to within two goals before the end of the half, and then they scored the first two goals of the third quarter to knot things up at sevens. This time, it was Pat Cavanaugh letting one rip from distance on a dish from Eric Dobson. The celebration from the football team after that goal was absolutely incredible, seeing the football team standing pretty much right on the sideline and going absolutely apeshit crazy for uh, for the Irish. That was awesome to see. Now, Alas, though it was Virginia's day as the Cavs answered with another haymaker of a run, scoring the game's next four goals in under five minutes. Peter Garneau picked up the first goal of that run unassisted, and then Xander Dixon capped that run with yet another feed from Connor Schellenberger, and UVA rolled from there. I believe the tally at the end was Schellenberger and Dixon hooked up four times on the day. Huge factor in this game, though, how Schellenberger and Dixon tore up the Notre Dame defense together. Fake seemed to be uh, Chris Fake seemed to be the primary guy that was guarding Schellenberger. And I saw Chris Conlon guarding Dixon. A lot of the times that Dixon lost his defender, it ended up being Conlon. I even saw Conlon on Schellenberger at one point uh, for one of those hookups, and it didn't look good for Conlon either. It is going to be a miserable day uh, in the film room for Notre Dame because they could not keep track of of the Virginia offense off ball. Schellenberger did a good job of dodging around on Fake to keep Fake off his body. If you guys remember, when Chris Fake was a youngster, he did some serious battle with Connor Fields when Connor Fields was king shit at Albany uh, Fields' senior year. Fake is an absolute brute, and if you let him get on your body and you don't continue to move, he's going to kill you. Schellenberger played that matchup perfectly all day long. It was an absolute shit show for Fake, for Conlon, for that Notre Dame defense. UVA scored so many easy off-ball goals that it was ridiculous. Now, off-ball goals are never easy to actually pull off, but Virginia made it look easy. Dixon, Cormier just getting lost, and, and, uh, and Schellenberger and company able to find them. Uh, Virginia's defense played really well. They held Notre, they held Notre Dame to their lowest, lowest scoring output of the season. They caused 10 turnovers in that process, many of them in the riding game. Now, Matthew Noons factored heavily in the success overall. He made 14 saves. That's a five eight three save percentage. Quentin Matsui and Mitchell Whalen combined for five cause turnovers as the UVA defense was aggressive all day. They made it very difficult for Notre Dame to settle into any type of rhythm. Uh, Matsui, I think, had three cause turnovers, and Whalen specifically had two. Now, a key for Virginia here, and it's not even a key for Virginia's defense overall, but the size and range of Cade Sawstad, that made life very difficult for Pat Kavanaugh. Even when it appeared Kavanaugh and even other players on the Notre Dame defense uh, offense, even when it looked like they had a step in Sostad's case, he was able to pretty much keep pace with Kavanaugh and even where he, it looked like he may have gotten beat on an, on an initial dodge. He was able to recover incredibly well. So I think that length the size, the ranginess of the Virginia defense is what is makes a it's a very tough matchup for Notre Dame because Notre Dame is the opposite of uh, at least offensively as uh, you know they do not have size on the offensive side of the ball at least not on attack. Dobson obviously a big cap, but the three starting attackmen for for. Um, for Notre Dame are all ha- hobbits. I mean, they're animals and they're crazy savage hobbits, but they are hobbits nonetheless compared to the size. I don't think Notre Dame has a defender under six foot. I think every single Notre or I don't think Virginia has a defender on their team under six foot. saustad's six five. I think Matsui's six foot. Uh, uh I don't know what Bauer or um or the other guy, Whalen, are. I think they're both above six foot two, though. But anyway, it was very apparent that Virginia just matches up well defensively against Notre Dame, where a team like Maryland had a little bit more trouble with them. So even though the Irish were able to get shots off, uh, Noons was there to save the day more often than not. He's played well against Notre Dame over the last couple of meetings. They've had credit to Virginia's defense also for just keeping their sticks in passing lanes. I, I think back on old Rick Patino Louisville basketball teams. We're talking like a decade ago, maybe even longer. Uh, I remember there being a big story about how he put a premium on being disruptive on defense. It didn't matter if it was you just swatting a pass down, getting a hand in a passing lane and tipping it. Kick balls were huge, even though that reset, this. I believe kick balls re- reset the shot clock in basketball. It didn't matter. He was willing to have 10 kick balls in a game. Patino was because it disrupted things, and that's how UVA's defense played. Uh, Their sticks were in every passing lane. They played great help defense, not just to help defense and getting the slide there, but they covered up the backside. They made it difficult for Notre Dame to find their shooters out top. Guys like Eric Dobson couldn't really find room. Great game overall out of the Cavs. Uh, For me, Virginia, they're going to get the number one vote, obviously, when I turn my poll in later today. Notre Dame's going to get my two. I think I'm going to pop Maryland at three. We're going to talk about their game against Penn State next. I think UVA proved Maryland is a matchup problem for U- UVA, meaning Maryland's defense seems to get the better of Virginia's offense over the last couple, over the last two seasons here, this last season and this one. And it seems like Virginia may be a comparably difficult draw for Notre Dame as Virginia's gotten the better of Notre Dame uh, over the last two seasons. So that it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out as we get into tournament time here now, though. I did just want to rip through quick, tell, tell you what guys put up in terms of points here. As we see Schellenberger, two of five off five, or yeah, two of five off seven shots, seven points. Great day for him. Xander Dixon was six and one on the day. Cormier, two and two. McConvey quiet. One and one, Evans in zero oh and one. I mean, they just got and you know who who's been really active but didn't put up a lot of points in that game was Connor. I thought uh, Jeff Connor did a good job for Virginia, even though he didn't put up more than just a goal off two shots. He was active in the dodging game in trying to make things happen and trying to win matchups and everything like that. So that was huge. And then, as I said, we saw some guys here. Uh, Matsui Noon's had two uh, caused turnovers. Whalen had two, and then a couple of other guys as well. If we look at Notre Dame, what happened for them? Pat Kavanaugh two and two off five shots. They really bottled him up, did not let him get anything going all day. Brian Tevlin, two helpers. Jake Taylor, two goals. He had a couple of behind the backs that he missed. some Some spectacular shots that didn't go in and they often do for him. Chris Kavanaugh, after scoring, scoring that goal early, only scores one more off five shots. So you can see the defense of Virginia did a really good job just being a huge pain in these guys' ass. And then goalkeeping. I'm trying to find where the hell is the goalkeeping in this one. Do we not have goalie stats? I always get mad at Virginia because I can never find their goalie stats at the end of the day. Yeah. So I know noon's had a good game, though. I already told you he had 14 saves, 58.3% uh, uh, between the pipes. So that is good enough for me. Uh, one factor here. P. D. Lasala, he had himself a good day in terms of face-off wins. He did win the bulk of the draws, but Notre Dame did a very good job of pestering the ever-living crap out of Virginia after they won those draws. So I think that even though LaSala had a good day at the dot, I think that those extra possessions were kind of wore out by, you know, Notre Dame's ride. And then maybe you could make the argument that whatever riding and and turnovers Notre Dame caused, then Virginia kind of did that in kind. So probably on average a possession battle did work out in Virginia's favor and Lasala did have a good game, but Notre Dame did a very good job of trying to pester him and not make his life easy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for happy price got your happy price price line overall all right next game we need to talk about here number 10 penn state and number two maryland penn state held up well over the course of the middle of that game the second and the third quarters but that slight edge over the first quarter and the fourth quarter for Maryland kind of decided this game and gave them that 13 10 win at home. Penn State took a 3 2 lead with 2.07 left in the first quarter off a trainer to trainer goal, Matt feeding brother Jack. Then Maryland would answer in a big way. They'd go on a six goal run. First goal was scored by Eric Spanos, that was unassisted. And then that was capped by Eric Kohler on a dish from Daniel Maltz that proved that it doesn't matter who Maryland has on offense. They can run their offense with long poles and defensive midfielders on the field, and they can still score a goal in a settled set. Now, the player of the game for Maryland, once again, Luke Weirman on a day that the uh, Terps freshman netminder uh, looked average, he looked anything but average, and the Terps went over Virginia. Rupel did. Uh, Luke Weirman, he made sure that Maryland won the possession battle in a close game. When Maryland was down 3-2 to two in the first quarter, it was Weirman that won the game's next three face-offs, and each of those possessions resulted in a Maryland goal. After a rougher-than-average third quarter that allowed Penn State to kind of get back in the game a little bit, Weirman again went on a tear. He won three of four draws over the course of the fourth quarter, and those extra possessions helped Maryland keep their lead and in turn pick up the W. The extra possessions were also hugely important for Maryland as their offense it's not nearly as efficient as it was a season ago. Maryland had 15 turnovers to Penn State's 11, but that was about the only stat that Penn State won overall. The Terps outshot Outground balled and outfinished their Big Ten rival and route to that three goal win. They beat them up all over the field. The scoreboard didn't quite indicate that, and we'll look at some stats here that might tell us why. Uh, another thing that has proven interesting for this Maryland team: they're living and dying by this positionless sharing is carrying kind of offense. The, you know, the schemes allowed them to have a great deal of success this year offensively, despite losing almost. all all of their leading scorers from a season ago. They've actually impressed me with the efficiency, despite the fact that you've got a lot of guys here, guys like Jack Corris, Eric Kohler, Owen Murphy, Braden Erksa, you know, these guys did not factor heavily in any manner last year, and they're all taking turns getting shit done for the Terps on offense. That in itself is impressive as hell. So if we dive into the stats a little bit here, for Penn State, we see Jack Trainer four goals, Matt Trainer one and two, TJ Malone, two and one, Winkoff, two and oh. So the usual suspects here, did okay for Penn State, just not enough overall. But if we come down here, we look at Maryland. Very spread out. Chorus, 3-0. and Kyle Long's really the only returning top scorer on this team, 2-1. and one, And he's been kind of quiet this year. Dante Trader got uh, into the action. Two goals for him. Uh, he also had two cause turnovers and a, two penalties for a minute and a half. So Trader out there getting physical. Uh, Eric Kohler, like I said, two goals. So you're just seeing that they're getting help. And they're getting points from look at the look at this all the way down. One, two, three, four, five, six. At least six guys put up two points. And then we had seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen guys in all put up at least one point, including defensive midfielders, uh, long poles. Uh, let's see here. Uh, did uh, did we have a defender? John Geppert had an assist in this one. So just a hell of a job for Maryland. Overall, just getting scoring and you know, the defense we know about. The defense has been incredible. Uh, Rupel here, pedestrian day for him. Nine saves against, 10 goals against. He did get almost all the minutes in this game and got spelled at the end of the game here. And then uh, Fracion played decent in cage for Penn State. 13 saves, 13 goals against. But like I said, Weirman, he's the, fa- he's the big factor here. He won, what, 19 of 27 on the day. So that's a great job for him. Nine ground balls in that mix. Next one. That we got to talk about was the nightcap. uh, The game played last night between number eight, Johns Hopkins and Michigan. This one is important because Hopkins is you know, not the number one team right now in the Big Ten, although I think the Big Ten is wide open at this point. I think Maryland is still favored, but you've got teams like Penn State, like Hopkins that come tournament time are all going to be dangerous. This game was, I think, important for both Hopkins and Michigan. Michigan needed a win very badly. This pretty much mercs, I think, their chance of making the NCAA tournament, barring they win out from here and maybe even win the Big Ten tournament. But anyway, I digress. Michigan, they came to play uh, Saturday night against Hopkins, but all of their hard work was undone by a solid Hopkins fourth quarter. Michigan took a 9-8 lead with 6.50 left in the third off a of Jake Bonomi snipe that beat whichever Hopkins keeper was in at that point, and I didn't see when I rolled the highlight, uh, Marseille and Carasiolo they split time. Uh, uh, that goal, that goal by Bonomi, though, absolutely disgusting. Stick, uh, stick side high, but perfect placement in that uh, corner with a serious heat on it. It was a beautiful shot. Brendan Grimes, he'd both start and finish a four-goal Hopkins run, scoring his first of the run unassisted. A nice dodge across the top of the field, you know, kind of going left across the top, and then his second was an outside snipe that made its way through traffic to beat uh, uh, to the back of the net off a rust. Melendez feed uh, I actually think Degnan hit the deck on that one he was kind of interference on the crease and he hit the deck ball goes past and and ends up in the net that made the score 12-9, and Hopkins would roll from there. Now, the Jays had a rough day at the faceoff dot. They lost 19-11 to in terms of the faceoff dot to Michigan, but they picked up seven more GBs in Michigan. They forced Michigan into 20 turnovers. Michigan only cleared the ball 12 of 19 times successfully, uh, and those extra possessions were enough to allow Hopkins to get control of the game, especially over that third quarter, uh, over that final third of the contest, that final kind of, you know, 33 minute or 33. 33- percent of that game, Hopkins pretty much controlled it. Scoring, very lopsided for Hopkins. Melendez goes for four and th- uh, four goals and three helpers. Degnan goes for five goals, and Brendan Grimes scored four and dished one. Penn State had a very hard time uh, bottling those guys up, as was evidenced by their output. And then credit to the Hopkins defense for forcing two of Michigan's top three scorers into three turnovers each in Zawada and Cohen. They both struggled, didn't put up many points overall. If we look at Hopkins, as I said, Melendez, four goals off eight shots. He also had those three helpers. Degnan five and zero, Grimes four and one, and then everybody else. I mean, we only had four other guys put up points. Angelus was one and one. Angelus was one and one. Peshko zero oh one. You know, so it, not not all that impressive overall there from the rest of the Hopkins team, but the big cats there they ate and they ate well. And then if we look at Michigan. Uh, Zawada was three and one, but like I said, those three turnovers there, Ryan Cohen was one and two, but boom, three turnovers there. So the Michigan de- or the, the Hopkins defense was very disruptive, gave these two top attackmen. I think they're the number two and number three scorers for Michigan right now gave them problems. I think Bohm is actually the leading scorer for Michigan right now. And he was held to just two, two assists and just two shots. So great job by the Hopkins defense. Uh, as we see here, Shane Carr did not have a great day against Hopkins. Marcel four saves against, six goals against. He only played half of the game. And then uh, Caracciola, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Caracciola, uh, he ended up coming in not much better. Three saves off, five goals against. So not a lot of consistency in cage for Hopkins in this one, although Marcel has been solid all season long for them. And um, yeah, just not, not a goalie's day here overall. That's it. We're done talking about that game, and we are going to move on here to Duke and St. Joseph's, number four Duke against St. Joseph's. Now, St. Joseph's did an admirable admirable job of not getting roached by a very hot, very effective Duke offense in this one, but Duke still controlled the game throughout, and the outcome wasn't really in question, even though the score at the end was 12-9. to Brennan O'Neill paced all scores with three goals and three helpers. He had two goals and three assists in the first half of this game specifically. And then teammate Andrew McAdory put up two goals in a dish in the win. Naso. Jake Naso was his typical self. He won 15 of 24 at the dot. He scored a goal. Naso's eighth in the country in terms of faceoff win percentage. He's got a 656 uh faceoff win percentage, but he also has four goals and two helpers on the year, 87 GBs and only nine turnovers. He's having a top 3 year at the moment in my opinion playing on the biggest stage. Even better in this game, He got the better of Zach Cole, who's fifth in the nation with a 6.96 winning percentage at the dot. Cole's widely considered one of the best three draw takers in the country overall, but guys like Naso, Weirman, Petey Lasala, as I always say, they do more than just win draws. And uh, that proves hugely valuable down the stretch. So I, I, that's why I kind of dig the, the ACC faceoff guys game uh, between Naso and P.D. Lasala and then Weirman for Maryland. They all do an incredible job of doing far more than just winning faceoffs. Wilson Stevenson for Duke. He forced three turnovers. He picked up six GBs for the Blue Devils. Kenny Brower and Jack Gray and Tyler Carpenter, they all forced two turnovers each, so not only did Duke win the possession battle at the dot, but they also took the ball away from guys like Levi Anderson, Tucker Brown, and their teammates quite a bit. Carter Page for St. Joseph's, he put up six goals. Not a bad day for him. Their offense was doing all it could to keep them in it, especially after Duke ran away for a little bit over the course of that third quarter. It just wasn't enough, though. The Duke offense, too good, especially when your All-American faceoff guy is getting beat you know more than more often than not by duke's future all-american face off guy and then that duke defense is just good enough to make sure that yeah page he put up six goals on us but anderson and company did not murk us like they needed to in order to pull off the upset so duke did a great job because no one on that Hawk, Duke's defense did a great job because no one on that Hawk squad put up more than two points other than page. If we dive into the stats a little bit, we see O'Neal three and three off 12 shots. Not a great shooting day for him, but it's good enough. Andrew MacDory two and one. And then Duke just kind of gets just a little bit of production from a bunch of guys, Ledman, Naso, Dyson-Williams, uh, Dinenza. I mean, these are all really solid lacrosse players. that each only put up one goal in that win, but Hey, a win is a win is a win. And then if we look at Carter page, yep, he had his six points, six goals, but Tucker Brown, two assists, Steven Dwyer, two, two goals, bomber, one assist, you know, like it, it, Levi Anderson didn't even get a goal in this one. So credit the Duke defense. They did a great job, uh, in this game overall. Next one, we are going to talk about Lehigh and number sixteen Georgetown. Now I keep talking about Georgetown from here because they start the season zero and three. They they had to win a bunch of games. Uh, so Lehigh they gave Georgetown trouble. I actually thought that Lehigh could come in here and break that three uh, that winning streak, the the three game winning streak of Georgetown, um, but in the end they couldn't. Uh, Georgetown got their shit together. They were able to gain control of this game over the course of the third quarter. Then they held off a late game rally by Lehigh in the fourth, and they secured themselves a 17-15 to 15 victory. Tucker Dordovic, uh, Tucker Dordovic had the hot hand. He scored six goals off 13 shots. He was consistent in terms of the pacing of his scoring, scoring three goals in the first half, and then another three goals in the second half. The Hoyas man-up offense, they were 3-4 on the day. Their man-down unit held Lehigh to 1-3, of three. so in a close game like this, special teams become important, and they delivered. Georgetown defense poked and prodded Lehigh into 25 turnovers on the day, and they only cleared the ball successfully 15 of 21 attempts, so it wasn't just a a solid defensive effort out of Georgetown. It was a great uh, between-the-boxes kind of play and even riding effort out of Georgetown. And when you only clear the ball fifteen to twenty one in a close game, that's usually going to result in you losing, and that's what happened. Dylan Hess forced three cause turnovers. He picked up a GB. He had a goal. Four Hoyas scored, two, uh, uh, forced at least two turnovers, including Wallace, Helpert, James, Donaldson, Will, Tom, Va- Tom, not Tom, and I'm not even. I can't say it. Will Tom Nanovit? I don't know, man. This Will motherfucker. He had two takeaways, including Jacob Kelly. He also had two, so it was a total team effort here on defense. I can say Will's name. Right now I can't, and I'm completely flummoxed now, and I'm going to give up. After starting 0-3 with losses to Hopkins Penn, and Notre Dame. Georgetown has now won four straight with wins over Princeton, Richmond, High Point, and Lehigh. Now, that Princeton win wasn't going to look all that great, but Princeton just kicked the living shit out of Yale this weekend, so now that Princeton win is looking even a little bit better for Georgetown. They face Denver. Uh, It's going to be Georgetown against Denver at Georgetown. Both teams badly need to win this game at this point to boost their tournament resumes because while I think Denver and Georgetown are both probably, you know, going, you know, have a good chance at winning their conference tournament, it's not certain for either. So both of them need every non-conference win and then every conference win that they could possibly get from here on out to improve their resumes for that automatic bid overall. Uh, Also, as we get into the stats here, I wanted to make a point here, um, yeah, Christian Mule, he's 4-3 and three for Lehigh. Uh, John Sidorsky 2-3. and three. So Lehigh actually got quite a bit of scoring out of a, a big chunk of their roster. And then we look here, Dordovic, 6-0. Oh, TJ Haley, 3 assists. Patrick Krogan, 3 goals. I mean, Georgetown got help from everybody all the way down. Credit James Riley, though. That was what I wanted to talk about here. Sisselberger, another one of the top three guys in terms of taking and winning the draws. Uh, Riley's one of those guys that I put in that tier with guys like Weirman, LaSala, Naso, where he's good at winning draws and he wins the bulk of the draws he takes. And he won 15 of 32 uh, on this day, but Riley's also an offensive threat. So yes, Sisselberger slightly edged Riley out in terms of face-off wins on the day. But you look at Riley, 15 of 32 is not bad and he scored two goals. So credit to him because uh, if Sisselberger just has his way, on the day, then uh, you know, then no, you know Georgetown could end up losing this game, but because he kept pace with Sisselberger and was close in terms of the draws, but then he puts up two goals off uh, off two of those wins. That's absolutely huge. So credit James Riley for that. Yeah, well, let's see cause turnovers, anything good. Uh, yeah, like like I said, Dylan Hessen. and then all these guys had these cause turnovers in cage. Scarfenberger for Georgetown, 11 saves, 15 goals against. Not great. Once again, not a good day to be a goalie here. Look at what Pecora did for Lehigh nine saves against 17 goals against. That's an absolute stinker of a day in Cage. Granted, it's against Georgetown and they have a pretty formidable offense. At least by now, they're playing good offense. Next game I wanted to talk about here was Yale getting the crap kicked out of them by Princeton, and that's going to create a problem for Yale. We'll kind of look at that here in a little bit, but as we go through here, Yale scores the first goal of the game, Jack Monfort from Johnny Keeb, and then Princeton just goes on an absolute monster of a run. They scored one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight goals back to 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 back. I'm wondering if I actually said that eight times. So they end up taking an 8-1 lead. Lucas Stannett scores that one from Alexander Vardaro, and that was all she wrote, folks. Yale does get back to within 8-3. Princeton then scores four more. Yale scores two. Princeton then scores six. So, I mean, for every two goals that Yale scored, Princeton put up four to six And that was all she wrote, and they win 23-10. to I absolutely did not see that coming. I actually thought Yale would win this game. I didn't do picks this week because I did a Twarton update. If I had done picks, I would have picked Yale to beat Princeton in this one. I would have assumed that was just the way it was going to go. Chris Lyons, 4-0 and for Yale. Thomas Bragg, the big lefty finisher with the huge monster snipe. He goes for three goals. Uh, Matt Brandau kept off the scoreboard, just two assists off nine shots. Uh, let's see here. I mean, we're not seeing Brad Sharp did nothing. You know, you kind of go through the list here. Leo Johnson did nothing, five shots, no points, you know, credit to the Princeton defense because they played a hell of a game against Yale. Yale's offense looked like crap. Yale's defense definitely looked a lot worse than their offense did, but it's not always on the defense. If the offense isn't producing, that's going to snowball into the defense. So any one of the teams could start the snowball or, you know, could start playing shitty. But if the other group struggles and then plays shitty also, then it just snowballs into an ass whooping like we're seeing here. Look at this game Coulter Maxi had. Eight goals, two helpers. This dude has been a monster for Princeton thus far this season. I expected a guy like Vardaro uh, or English or you know, some of those guys to maybe be the leading scorers on this team. So for Maxi, who I believe uh, a season ago, we can actually go in here, and I'm just going to look for you because I'm actually curious, but uh, 22... Yeah, Coulter Maxey was their fourth leading scorer. All of these guys are back. I think slusher has gone, but, uh, or actually, no, Brown is gone too. But yeah, you look at this. I mean, Sam English has not been. Uh, all that proficient in scoring this season. Maxi, their fourth leading scorer from a year ago, is now their leading scorer. And I was wrong. He was a little bit higher up the, the list than I thought he was. Vardaro was right behind him. But anyway, moral of the story, Maxi's having a great season. Princeton needed this win very badly. If we come into here and I go into inside lacrosse, we're going to bring this over here and we're going to find Princeton. And I'm going to click on them once I do. Okay. Yeah, we come into here. Everybody thought Princeton was awesome. I even had Princeton ranked way too high. I had them, I think, in the top five, top seven or something like that. And their first two wins, a big win over Monmouth, but then a closer than expected win against Manhattan. Then that led to four straight losses to Maryland, Georgetown, Rutgers, and Penn. And it's like, holy shit. Things are not looking good for Princeton. I honestly thought this Yale game would be their fifth loss in a row, but the wounded dog uh, theory proves true that Princeton was definitely the more wounded animal, and they fought tooth and nail and then just ended up kicking the shit out of Yale in this one. So a must-win game for Princeton, and from this point on, every game is a must-win game for Princeton. They've got Brown next, and then they've got to play Syracuse at home after that, so there's you know no walks in the park. Even Dartmouth is playing tough lacrosse. So the last five games for Princeton, Brown, Syracuse, Dartmouth, Harvard, Cornell. I think they could win. You know they 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 pretty much have to win them all. You know because once again there there's teams that are in the Ivy that are better than they are. So they're going to be just fighting tooth and nail to try to get that fit uh, that fourth um, Ivy League tournament spot but then they got to win it from there because they they're, they do not have a resume right now that is even remotely good enough to get them into the NCAA tournament. So they're going to have to win some games. All right. The next one I wanted to talk about, a game that is always near and dear in my heart, is Syracuse taking on Hobart at the Carrier Dome. Hobart actually played pretty tough here. 6-2 at the end of the first quarter, 9-4 at the end of the half, and then... Hobart came out, oh no, Syracuse came out and scored the first couple of goals of the second half. So yeah, Hobart, it, it actually was impressive. I think that Will Mark robbed them quite a bit. Because offensively, man, they were getting a lot of looks early in the game to the point that it was worrying me. Because if Will Mark didn't stand on his head and have another great game, which he had 14 saves against just six goals against, if he didn't rob them over the course of the first half, that game is a lot closer going into halftime because their offense didn't look too bad. Uh, once again, I can't sort the stupid statistics for Syracuse. So we're going to have to like scroll around to see what dudes did. Joey Spelina here. He was 4-2 on the day. Uh, Michael Leo looked great, three goals off just five shots on the day. That Syracuse midfield unit, though, what has impressed me the most is Syracuse is playing a ton of freshmen here. Their first two midfield units are pretty solid. The the unit that has impressed me more than any of the others, though, is the third midfield unit, this John Cohen, number 81. I believe he's a sophomore. Two goals and two helpers in this game. He came out against St. Bonaventure, had a very good game as well. From what I'm seeing, he's getting, especially in this Hobart game, he got minutes against Hobart's first-team guys, and he came in, and he can't be guarded. The dude gets a step on every dodge. He came, right, he came in right away, I believe, and on his first dodge of the game, he ended up having an assist to Joey Spelina. So this, you know, say what you will about Syracuse. They're going to struggle, I think, this year, especially down the stretch. As After this win, now Syracuse is just going to be fed to the dogs. If we come in here and we look at their schedule... All right. After this win, and what are they sitting at now? Now they're sitting at six and four overall. Coming up here, they've got to play Notre Dame next weekend, uh, Princeton after that, North Carolina after that, Virginia after that, and Duke after that. So there is a very good chance that Syracuse could potentially go one of four. Over this over this five game stretch, they could go 0 for five over this five game sp- stretch. I mean, Princeton has just proven yes they've struggled, but they're still a very good lacrosse team. Uh, Carolina's already beat the crap out of Syracuse. Virginia is filthy. Notre Dame is filthy. Duke is filthy. So the benef- the 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 good good thing of this for Syracuse, if they're going to have a shot at making the tournament, all they got to do probably finish three and three over this stretch. Let's see how many games are in here. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Finished three and two over this stretch. They're in the NCAA tournament. If they lose, because if they lost to, let's say, Notre Dame, Virginia, and Duke, I think beating Princeton and Carolina mixed with the other the rest of the resume they have and, and the fact that they haven't had a bad loss yet, I think that's getting you close to maybe getting in if they can go three and two here. Now, if these are the two teams they went they beat, maybe they don't get in still even with that, because that would put them you know, three games above five hundred. with the main quality wins being over Princeton and Carolina. If they can pull an upset over one of these three, Notre Dame, Virginia, or Duke, then that's looking a little bit for the resume for the RPI and things start getting interesting. But this is all just wishful thinking for me because these, this is the, going to be one of the most brutal five-game stretches that any team is going to play all season long here, uh, except for Princeton. But like I said, Princeton is probably the best – team in the country that only has three wins. I think that's what they're sitting at, what, three and three and four, three and five, or something like that. So that's it. That's all we're going to talk about. But like I said, Will Mark had a great game. The Syracuse defense looked tough. It is Hobart, but it is a rivalry game. Hobart plays tough in the Dome, as a lot of teams do. Uh, so the Syracuse offense being able to slowly but surely pull away in this one, the defense kept pace. That's a hell of a job for Cuse, and now they're six and four instead of four and four. Uh, Carolina beat the ever-living crap here out of Providence. I only brought this one up because I wanted to see who did what for the uh, scoring here for Carolina. Logan McGovern, 5-0. and Sean Goldsmith, 3-1. and So the two transfers here, McGovern and Goldsmith, did the bulk of the scoring for Notre Dame. I don't even know who this guy is. Who is Trevor Dubner? I have not seen him. I haven't been paying very close attention, apparently. He has gotten some time, but he goes off for four goals here in this game against Providence. And uh, from a goalkeeping perspective, Colin Krieg had a good day, nine saves, just four goals against. From a face-off perspective, uh, Tyre has been solid for Carolina. He goes 13-20 on the day. So Carolina beat the ever-living crap out of Providence. They they need to. Like I said, the ACC just needs to keep smoking non-conference opponents. Keep, or keep just winning those games, and then once they get into ACC play. My goal and what I hope here is that the ACC gets uh, four teams in and I I think that's a legit possibility here. Uh, probably it's not going to end up being Syracuse, but I'm hoping Cuse can beat Carolina and then can pick up a win over, let's say like a Notre Dame or Virginia or Duke. One of those three, that would make me super happy. I think any way you look at it as a Cuse fan, successful season thus far compared to what we, what we did last year, but now they've got to pick up at least one or two more wins for me to consider this like a true, Hey, Cuse is back. And, and, Next year, with all of these guys coming back outside of Will Mark, it's going to be impressive. Um, Vermont beat Albany. Wanted to see how Vermont did. Uh, Once again, just to see what that does to all these other teams. RPIs. Curious about what's going to happen in the America East. But Vermont handled Albany. Brock Haley goes for six goals, two helpers. And Tommy Burke at the faceoff dot dominates 18 of 23 in the win. Matt Schaefer Ten saves, seven goals against. He wins the goalie battle. He wins the game. So Vermont picks up a big conference win against Albany uh, at home, nonetheless. This game was weird at first because I saw Lafayette was giving Boston U quite a bit of problems. Uh, And at one point, Lafayette had, I think, like a decent lead in this game. If we kind of look at what Lafayette's done so far, you know, big losses here to start the season. They beat Sacred Heart, yawn, but they played Drexel, tough. Uh, Lost to Binghamton, played Loyola pretty tough not terrible against army here. So I mean Lafayette's kind of kind of been a little bit sneaky here, but they gave Boston U all they could handle. It ends up being Lou Perfetto goes 6 and 1, Timmy Lay 2 and 1, Tommy Bork 2 and 0, oh, Dalto 2 and 0. Oh. So the offensive guys on Boston U end up doing enough to win this game. What happened at the faceoff dot? There you go, James Turco for Lafayette. Did a good job at the face-off dot. That probably helped Lafayette, especially early in this game here. And then goalkeepers, not a great day to be a goalkeeper. But yep, I thought it was a big deal that Boston U did end up winning that game. Now, they are sitting at 7-1. They are still unranked because when you look at who they have beat, are they unranked? Man, now I'm going to have to look this up. I don't know that they are unranked, even though I'm popping off like they are. Okay, no, they're still ranked. 18th, but you, you kind of look at the quality of the wins they've picked up thus far. Uh, that loss to Vermont doesn't look great, but then they beat Bryant, UMass, Colgate, Bucknell, Holy Cross, Harvard's not a terrible win, Lafayette. So now they're going to get into some nitty-gritty here. They've got Navy next, Boston U does. They've got Yale. Then they've got Loyola, Lehigh, and Army. So they're about to have a five-game gauntlet to finish their season, and the whole season hinges on these last five games. What they've done thus far does not matter. Once they get into the Patriot League uh, uh, games, that's that's when shit starts getting really serious here. And right now, they're sitting at the top of the Patriot League with a 4-0 record tied with Army, who also has a 4-0 record. And they've got uh, meetings with Lehigh, Loyola, and Navy all looming here. So Boston U is going to run the gauntlet here and see where they really stand It uh, you know in terms of the Patriot. And I think I did pick Boston U to win the Patriot. So we'll see. Army has been impressing, though, man. You know, A hell of a job by Army overall. Jacksonville beat Mercer eighteen to five. I saw here, and we look at the scoring for Jacksonville: Intieri three and four, McGuire three and two, Dylan Watson four and one. Uh, the transfer from Georgetown uh, goalies Milliken, eh, not great. Once again, not a great day to be a goalie. Didn't seem like yesterday was a great day to be a goalie overall. Uh, Will Mark had a hell of a day, but it wasn't against the best competition out there. And Ashton Wood. Ashton Wood did a hell of a job at the face-off dot for Mercer, hence them keeping pace a little bit. He wins 22 of 20, uh, 33 for Mercer at the face-off dot, but that's not enough, and Jacksonville still wins that game. Let us see. I haven't talked about a bunch of games. Now I'm just going to kind of rip through the last few games that are being played today, and I'm a little bit late getting this out, so probably Cornell will just about already be playing by the time you're watching this, but Cornell hosting Penn in Ithaca, so that's going to be a huge game uh, if we look at some others, Army beat Loyola ten to five. Let's see here, Towson took out Fairfield eleven to seven. What else we want to just talk about quick? Uh, we already talked about Carolina. Yeah, not a. It was a weird day yesterday. I watched a bunch of lacrosse, but yeah, uh, Binghamton gets a one goal win over New Jersey Tech at home. That was another big one. UMass ends up beating Brown at home ten to nine. Let's see what the Drip King did in this one. Did the Drip King take some face-offs? Caleb Hammett, baby. The Drip King, 15 of 23. So the Drip King factored heavily in UMass's win over Brown. He says he sucks at lacrosse, folks, but apparently he doesn't really suck at all at lacrosse. Drip King did not get a point, did not get a point in that win. That is very disappointing to see. But hey, UMass now 5-3. and three. Picking up a win over an Ivy League team, Brown is struggling compared to what they did last year. But hey, uh, you don't have the—they don't have the drip king. If they had the drip king, maybe Brown could have won this game. Won this game, not the case though. Uh, Air Force beat up on Linda Wood. That's not that impressive. Delaware picks up a 15-7 win over Hofstra. J.P. Ward one and three. Brendan Powers two and one. Clay Miller three and zero. Oh. Ty Kurtz two and one. Um, so Delaware offense—they apparently had it rolling against Hofstra. And they beat them up. Matt Kilkiri, ten saves with seven goals against. And then at the faceoff dot, uh, they struggled. Chase Patterson did a decent job for Hofstra at the faceoff dot, but it didn't matter. Delaware, they win that game. And then uh, I think that's it. Oh yeah, Dartmouth and Harvard. I don't. I didn't see who won or who scored it. Let's see here. Who scored the game-winning goal? It didn't say. I'm not gonna. I don't care enough to look it up here. But Dartmouth beats Harvard in overtime at home, Colin McGill, 4-1 and on the day, goalie battle here, Mason Morrill, 11 saves against, 9 goals against, that's not too bad, so that's it, I'm going to shut the hell up now, I'm going to cut this up, put this out for you all, I'm going to watch the Cornell game, hopefully I'll be done with this by the time that Cornell game starts, I will be back to doing a preview on Wednesday, we'll, do, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about today's games on Wednesday, and then we'll preview the games for, for the upcoming weekend and all that crap. So that's all. If you need, once again, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way. If you need team gear, we make custom uniforms in America uh, and team apparel, reversibles, jerseys, shorts. You want some shorts with pockets? We can do that crap too. Unlimited designs. Everything's dye sublimated, printed in America, cut and sewn in America, support American businesses. And uh, as always, you can get t-shirts, you know, Lax Factor podcast t-shirts, random, not Lax Factor podcast related t-shirts, all that crap. So that's all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Come back on Wednesday. I'll be back doing the preview show. And that is all. Hoost is out. The Lax Factor podcast.